Today's date is Monday, September 13th, 2021. My guest today is Irene Beerley. Irene is the content strategist for Aquarium Co-op, where some of her responsibilities include creating educational and easy-to-understand blog articles, creating original content for the Aquarium Co-op YouTube channel, and other marketing-related activities. In addition, Irene is the creator of the popular YouTube channel Girl Talks Fish, which to date has 111,000 subscribers. So Irene, welcome to the podcast. Hello. So thank you very much, Irene, for taking time out of your busy day to uh, jump on with, I can't use the complete stranger line because we are coworkers, <laughs> we're teammates, uh, we know each other, but nonetheless, for uh, for jumping on, and actually, I should probably thank Corey for, uh, <laughs> you know, kind of giving us the the ability to uh, have the, the work freedom to be able to jump on an hour-long podcast. Thank you. Thank you, and, Corey. Uh, thank, thank you, Corn Dog. On that note, before we get into anything, Irene... Uh, I guess I am going to put you in the hot seat. What are so? Let's put let's get the the sponsorship out of the way. This episode of the Aquarius Podcast is sponsored by none other than AquariumCoop.com or AquariumCoop.com, however you want to pronounce it. Irene, what are what what product? One or two products, and one is okay. Would you like to talk about to our audience to promote Aquarium Co-op? Throw a little uh, a little sponsorship out there. Uh, I will have to admit that probably the product I use the most of in my aquariums would be the aquarium co-op sponge filter. And yeah, I used to use hang on back filters. I've used canister filters. I've done many things, but now every single one of them has a sponge filter in them. And maybe that's just because I keep a lot of nano fish, nano aquariums. And so they do like that gentle flow, but I always so love how it's really coarse and it doesn't get clogged up all the time with gunk so it's really easy to clean and it blends in very well in the back with that black and green color so thanks to uh the team that developed it yeah um my favorite feature that is like the most unsung feature of the the co-op uh coarse sponge filter is the instant sink the fact oh, yeah. that the, the fact that the sponge filter is coarse and having set up a fish room with 40 plus tanks and you do the thing where you order like all the the cheapest sponge filters you can off amazon which are going to be super 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 fine and when you don't really know any better and there are no other options you go mm -hmm. and you set these things up and you've got 40 floating sponge filters and so you're spending <laughs> the next two weeks constantly squeezing the air out is ridiculous and actually one time i almost had it where it was like, going to spit water out if i didn't actually have lids on the aquariums so the sponge filter would float all the way to the top and then it would shoot water out of the tube so that actually could have been really that was actually my son coming in he's got his new uh build a bear little raptor we're gonna and we're of course we're leaving this in the podcast so he wanted to say <laughs> goodbye they're going to the reptile zoo so that's kind of adjacent I think they're actually going to see some aquatic animals at the reptile zoo. So that is an okay, that is an okay adjacent little uh, note there. But yes, aquarium co-op, coarse sponge filters, love the product. Um, yeah. I've actually added a new hack recently. Is that I stole it from LR Bretz, where he puts that little deli cup lid oh, on the yes. top of the uh, airline tube. And so any of that splatter you were talking about, it won't get on the lid anymore mm. and cause that ugly green slime. So yes. I started doing that as well. It's yes. very helpful. And it provides shade because a lot of times my sponge shelter is right under the light. So now I don't have a problem since it's shaded out. I don't have a problem with Blackbeard algae growing on my Ooh, sponge filters anymore. Very nice. So, a little pro tip for you guys there. Yeah, very nice, very nice. Have you made a video about that yet? 
I sure have. <laughs> Check <laughs> okay. it out on Girl Talks Fish. <laughs> okay, there we go. There we go. Great job, Randy, of doing your research on uh, on videos that Irene has put out. Um, and I will say, so another, let's just keep this little sponsorship rolling here, Aquarium Co-op Powerhead. So we now have a powerhead. So Irene had mentioned that you can get a gentle flow kind of natively through using a core sponge filter or sponge filter in general. Now, if you want to supercharge that bad boy, you slap the Aquarium Co-op 211 gallon per hour powerhead on there, and it actually fits. So, I mean, this is going to be terrible for just a voice podcast, but like the little green uplift tube doohickey actually can kind of marry into the powerhead perfectly. It's a beautiful like friction fit in there. Totally, totally by design, of course. And uh, it supercharges your powerhead. So you basically can have like much, uh, much greater flow going through your tank. And that will also help to increase the filtration the me- and, and actually, you know, kind of boost that mechanical filtration as well of the sponge filter. And, and, and this is, you know, to Corey's credit, having a cord on that thing that's like a half a mile long. Because the worst thing, I mean, and actually in my fish room, there's probably like three different things that I have extension cords running to because they mm-hmm. put like a three foot cord on it. They're like, hey, we're going to make this aquarium parodic and we're going to put a three-foot cord on it. Oh, no, 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 folks. The powerhead, the aquarium co-op powerhead has an 11 and 8-inch cord on it, I believe. 11 foot. I'm sorry. <laughs> 11 inches would be terrible. An 11-foot, 8-inch cord on the powerhead. So it's yeah, That's something you would never figure out unless you weren't constantly in a fish room and like working on aquariums like a lot of these companies i feel like they develop products and they don't know you know it's like ah this is what they kind of need right versus if you were really using a powerhead you know day in and day out you're like oh i can never reach that outlet where's that extension cable right like that's that's what i love about uh kind of like Aquarium products made for hobbyists by hobbyists. There's, yeah, and there's, that's actually a good point. And so there's, you know, kind of having done this now for approaching three years, there are kind of two schools of, of companies out there that service this hobby. One are going to be those that just purchase off the shelf. So mm-hmm. they'll go over, you know, they go overseas or domestically even and say, oh, you've got products XYZ. That looks great. Let's slap our name on it and let's import it. Uh, the second is going to be, you know, like a Hagen that's actually going to have, or ZoomEd are two good examples, in-house design. And so they'll mm-hmm. actually kind of design their own things. Now, some of some of their stuff is also off the shelf. Um but you know, some of theirs are actually like homegrown kind of ideas and, and designs. And then they'll go over to a contract manufacturer overseas and have them produce it for them. And so uh, we are definitely somewhere kind of in the middle of that, but I'd say more so leaning towards like the actual, you know, we'll take a design that's off the shelf and improve it to actually be much better for the home Aquarius. And then at some point we'll start doing, um, and actually no, we, we actually have done this original designs from scratch. Um, so yeah, no, definitely very, very exciting. And yeah, so there is our Aquarius podcast sponsored by AquariumCoop.com. So head over there, get yourself some coarse sponge filters and uh, powerheads, which in this crazy day and age of supply chain instability, we have both of those in stock. So you can head, o- head over there. This is obviously very time relevant, but nonetheless, I would hope that if I'm doing my job right, we will keep those in stock for some time to come. In, perpet- in perpetuity. So, Irene, this is all about you. This hour is all about Irene Beerley. 111 subs, 111,000 subs. Thank um, you. Yes, and that's, yeah. So, I don't know. I didn't want to go into our little uh, pre-show rant, but we'll say that. Congratulations on that. Um, the the omission, let's make the omission that you have, uh, your two-year tenure with Aquarium Co-op is coming up in November, Correct. It is. It started in 2019. And here's the embarrassing thing. In that entire time, Irene, you and I have never actually had a one-on-one meeting or call. <laughs> that's true. That's either I mean, that's either super impressive of our organization or it's super sad. 
I don't I don't know which extreme that is. I feel like kind of sad because we've gotten along so well already, and like we've already talked about like tabletop gaming and video games, yeah. and all, I, I got a chance to show you like my painted toys and all this good stuff. That but. is one of the hard parts of being a remote. I think I'm one of the yeah one of the few remote employees uh, at Aquarium Co-op, but you're in the operations department. I'm kind of more in the marketing department, and so. Corey's kind of the bridge <laughs> between us so we don't get to interact yeah and you know we could we could talk all about philosophical business organization and silos versus you know a highly um cross-functional group but just right now like we are as I tell my operations team we're a very infant company you know there are things that uh you know that we don't have in place that larger organizations do and as we grow like we'll start to try to take the best of those things and incorporate um but right now like you know a lot of times it just doesn't necessarily make sense to not have it be siloed, I guess. And yeah, silo silo in the business world is a very charged term. I feel, um, but no, I mean, obviously, you know, people from the outside looking in would, I, they probably don't think that we have any issues whatsoever in terms of like organizational structure, which I don't think we do. So nah, yeah, I think it works. We're fine. Good. However, the downside is that we don't get to like have you know kind of like banter and you know all this fun stuff and i let you know some some inside trolls that uh, that i do on Corey and and whatnot one day so. i will make it to washington one day i'll make it there i'll actually visit the store for the first time i'll get to meet all y'all in person you actually <laughs> haven't been to the store yet i have never been oh. I, I visited seattle before i started working for aquarium cops so and i did not know you guys. were you a fish keeper when you visited i think seattle? this was my it might have been my baby moon. So this oh. was before I had my son. And it was actually after I had my son, when he's a little toddler, like three years old, we were, I had a friend, we were doing play dates and she had a 10 gallon aquarium with glowfish in it. Oh, nice. And he would just stare at this thing, obviously, <laughs> colorful fish, right? Mm -hmm. And so when his birthday came up, she was like, hey, I just wanted to ask you beforehand, do you mind if we got you like, it got him a better fish? Cause he always loves our fish when he comes and she's not like she's a very casual fish keeper she's not into that scene at all and i was like "Ooh, let me hmm, let me look into like what it takes to take care of these things and that was like my downfall <laughs> so i just went down the rabbit hole that better fish became my better fish obviously because you know he was too young to take care of it and then i just started keeping more and more fish super so he, never super. he never did get that better fish it was the the family slash mom's better fish <laughs> gotcha gotcha that's that's uh we just kind of like flew right into the origin section i like that though Do but now like how, how i did that the, nice segue nice segue <laughs> um no that's that's super responsible of you i would have been like of course of course get me that <laughs> however now let's let's play like the alternate universe game like what if this mm. friend had like a bearded dragon and your son is obsessed with these bearded dragons. And I then in probably, this multiverse, yeah. Irene would be talking lizards. She'd be talking that herps. Girl talks actually, herps. Very, very possible. Because when I was a kid, um, I loved all animals. Like we had the carnival goldfish. We had parakeets, hamsters, rabbits, turtles, and eventually a cat when I got to senior year in high school. I mean, so not all of these pets at the same time, but I just loved, loved, loved animals. So you're very correct. If she had <laughs> offered me some other animal, I probably would have deep dove into that instead and been a reptile channel instead. Girl, girl talks chinchillas or whatever <laughs> yeah, it is. something like that. Oh my goodness. So we were, we were just at our um, one of our state fairs here in Washington, and it's surprising to see that they still have the feeder goldfish like in a 10 gallon yeah. tank like toss a ping pong ball and win one it's like how is that how is that still a thing and then you know I, maybe I've, I've said this before in an older podcast but like i really want to know like okay so of that 
it's probably like the chances of you even getting a healthy fish. And even mm -hmm. if you took it home and put it in the perfect environment, like what are really the survivability chances? But how many of those people that are going to win a goldfish potentially could turn into an aquarist? And all of a sudden we now have like a family or two or three or four or whatever out of like the, ten, the thousand people that play that game and want a goldfish. Um, they would have to be successful. I think that's what gets people out of the hobby yeah. is that even if they are well-meaning and they do actually like buy a fish from a pet store and get an aquarium, if they aren't successful and that fish dies, like there's a steep drop off. Yeah. Uh, to, to not staying in the hobby. Yeah. It's, just, so. it's just surprising though, like in 2021, the cliche of like insert year here and say, I'm surprised that in this day and age that we still do that. Like, Well, how... when that uh, free guy trailer came out with Ryan Reynolds in mm -hmm. it, and in that trailer, there was a goldfish in a tiny bowl. And that was like, still that stereotype is today that, oh yeah, goldfish, you just keep them in a little bowl. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's... People with the general public still thinks because of, I feel like because of media, like you see it on TV, you see it on movies. And so that's what people assume mm -hmm. that's what you're supposed to do. So then what you're saying is that we need to go mainstream and Corey needs to have his keeping up with the McElroys. And it becomes Corey, the movie. It becomes it becomes a Netflix sensation, and yes. then through that consumption, yes, the world then sees how you should actually keep, you know, a proper ten gallon aquarium. So my buddy, man, like one of there's like I'm not joking. I'm not gonna drop the L word, but there's two guys from high school, my two buddies that I was, you know, I was in both their weddings. They're in my weddings, that kind of stuff. Like that, I actually keep in contact with. One lives in Sacramento. One lives upstate, you know, New York, outside of Manhattan. Maybe that's not upstate New York. He lives outside of Manhattan. Anyway, we're geographically distant. We still we still keep in touch uh, fairly regularly, actually. Um, he hits me up and he and he sends me a picture of his ten gallon aquarium that he's setting up for his boys in their in their uh, bathroom between like the two sinks, like the perfect spot for a ten gallon aquarium. I'm like, cool. And he sends me the picture before there's any fish and there's three uh, artificial plants and there's blue black um, gravel, right? Mm -hmm. Like uh, aquarium gravel. I'm like, cool, man. That's not a natural planted tank, but no problem. Like I don't care. Get your boys into the hobby. Have a great time. That's awesome, dude. And he knows I work for Aquarium Co-op. Like, he knows I go to Peru. He knows, like, I do these fish things and have been doing them for some time, and they know that I have a podcast. Uh -huh. So at no point does he consult with me further beyond that. And then really? I guess my thought would be that both these guys are very intelligent guys. Like, I would think that he would do research as well. So I didn't even, like, say, hey, dude, you should probably, you know, check these, like, hey, I'm setting up an aquarium video or blogs or anything like that. Yeah. Maybe, like, two weeks later, he sends me this picture of this, like, uh, white ultra cloudy same tank <gasps> with like 14 feeder goldfish in it oh I'm my like, gosh what did you do oh no <laughs> he's like well, do you know what's going on here and I'm just like oh my god <laughs> I mean but, I, I guess that's when a lot of people look if they if they're not the type to do a little bit of research beforehand they're the type to will like so, after the fact be so like the, oh I'm in trouble oh help god, right the, hold on hold on let me let me go back again this is making for a wonderful audio podcast but I don't care uh, okay where's his text let's go up here Da, da 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 filler words I'll, I'll say good times for the first time or second time today who knows uh how much do we talk about it's nonsense? hard because you don't know when you should like if somebody shows your, your their fish tank or you happen to be at somebody's house it's like you don't want to push your vast amounts of knowledge on them and like overwhelm them you know yeah. just be like you're doing everything wrong right so you want them to feel good about the hobby and so that's why it's hard to know when to speak up for yeah. sure and actually now that i look at the picture it looks like it looks like it's in a bathroom that actually has direct sunlight 
So it looks like it's got at least two windows that get direct sunlight. But nonetheless, he says, I figured it was fine since they have like 100 of them in an even smaller tank at the store. (laughs) That was awesome. You know what? I mean, that's Uh, a legit like observation. Like you see that at the pet store, you're like, oh, sure. You can keep them super crammed, not knowing that they have this giant filtration system in the closet behind. I mean, Tiger, (laughs) Tiger King had tigers. I mean, you know, maybe I should be able to pull that off too, right? You know what? I'm going to, I'm going to shout out my friend here. I have a best friend who, um, she is not, let's just, let's just turn this episode into making fun of our (laughs) friends doing silly things. No, but she saw my channel. Like she's so supportive. Right. So she would like watch a few episodes, you know, here and there. Right. And because of that, she actually started thinking like, Hey, maybe I want to fish, but because she had seen a few of my videos, she was like, I know I'm way out of my element. Like, there's just so much I don't know. And so she's invited me over to her house and be like, please. Kind of like when they do those um, HGTV shows mm-hmm. of like flip your house, that kind of thing. You call the experts You're over. The she's expert. like, please nice. come as an expert and set up the perfect benefit system for me and like teach me everything. And I'm like, yes, I would love to mentor you in your like fish keeping journey because that's the first step like her recognizing like wow there's just a lot i don't know and there's a lot that could kill this thing so is i'm that, like is, cool i wonder if that's just like an inherent like male female difference where like you and your friends interaction versus me and my friends interaction like my <laughs> <laughs> like I we're not ask, <laughs> like we're not asking each other questions i'm making fun of him at his failure and you're you guys are more like way supportive and like yeah let's just actually like have this conversation and let's be but supportive of each other said- like, let's be transparent oh, and not like she was asking me for help though mm. like i didn't like i'm always like okay let me i'll ask before i give the advice right because nobody wants it unsolicited advice right so i'm kind of like for sure. probing here but uh yeah that's happened also to another uh classmate that my daughter has she had a play date back in the day and and then i noticed uh she was taking home these like little glass marbles right and i was like Oh, telling my daughter where'd you get those from and then i end up talking to the mom she's like oh we have this better fish tank and we just cannot keep them alive like we've three in the road of time oh, i was like oh let me see what your tank looks like and then i see you know like a typical half a gallon like yeah. it's full of glass marbles whatever and i was like you know what i would just love to bless you with a brand new better fish tank there like you go you know i work for an aquarium aquarium co-op and you know i'm just gonna like buy all this stuff for you but do you see what the difference was like i'm not coming here going like you're doing all this thing wrong i'm like spending a lot of my own money right a new aquarium is because i'm not gonna buy or use stuff right sure, <laughs> a sure. new, brand new aquarium costs a lot of money and then so being like me being willing to give first rather than just bash her on the head. Like that kind of attitude made her more receptive to, uh, I'll totally, I'll totally bash my friend on the head. Come on, come on, dude. You're better than that, man. You're no, but I did, I did. So now, now Randy needs to go on the, explain himself a little more. I did, I did send him some links and some articles and it did, uh, yeah. So we, we got him, we got him on the right path. And of course, like if, if he ever needed any follow up, I'd be more than happy to jump on a call and kind of walk it over or walk through it with him. But um, yeah, I mean, that's actually, that's, that's really fun. So for my neighbor, um, a retired husband, wife duo, they, uh, or I got him set up on a, a 40 breeder. So I had a spare nice. 40 breeder from, you know, dollar a gallon, 50% off sale. So I got him hooked up on that. got him hooked up on a stand and like, he's got this like massive planted aquarium. And I think most of his plants in there are actually some from uh, a farm overseas that we brought in just as samples. And so part of my job is like, we need to test stuff out, right? And not only just dry goods, but also plants. And so he's got like Crip Wendedi green gecko, uh, one of another green, another bronze, um, some some hydrophilia that we'd never, or hydro, 
Hydra, the Pentafinita. Which one's that? Yeah, yeah. So whatever I know, that I know what it looks like. That, yeah. The, the Pentafinita one that is just exploding in his tank is crazy. I have to go oh, over there yes. like once every three months and just trim the bejesus so out of it. Oh, jealous! My <laughs> biggest tank is a twenty, and I would love a forty breeder or something bigger. Nice. So. But I got him hooked up on some three and like all this stuff. You know, I just yeah. he he hasn't given me anything for, it. and it's just great that you know I was able to. Uh, to help him out because I don't think he was very successful before in keeping past yeah. aquariums. Um, and then we've had some other friends come over and we brought in some uh, some sample product, I will say, and you know sent them home with a bunch of stuff for their aquarium. So it's 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 fun like to try to pass <laughs> the addiction along and be like, hey, yes. here let's uh, let's help you out on this uh, on this journey and make sure that you're successful yeah. and see the addiction spread. And you know if you decide that you want to come and support us, that's cool, but no worries. Mm-hmm. And actually, I think my buddy in Sacramento has actually placed a couple orders with us now. So I think he is going with, awesome. uh, he is putting, he actually is putting in live plants now and, and all that stuff, which um, I actually do probably need to mention something to him. But I, I need to follow up about those, uh, about the direct sunlight. Cause I'm not, mm-hmm. cause I totally didn't notice that before. So I'll have to follow up with him. Cause I mean, no amount of plants or anything. If that thing is getting like seven hours a day of Sacramento direct sunlight, that is not going to be great for his uh, water clarity. It's such a hard hobby because not only is there just such a steep learning curve, but if you mess up, you're like killing plants and fish. Like there's a high cost to failure versus like, you know, we're talking about painting miniatures, right? If you mess up on a miniature, no worries, right? You clean it up, put in your little ultrasonic thing, clean off the old paint, and then you just start again, right? But there's no like I said, that pain of losing a living fish, right? So exactly. That, I can see why a lot of people uh don't stay in the hobby. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, I mean, you just drive down the road and you see like the the old ten gallon aquarium on the side of the road with mm-hmm. the you know with the hood sticking up out of it. And it's like, oh, that's yep. a bummer. Craigslist all the time. That's yep. a bummer. But I mean, there's got to be like somebody at some point has got to do the study. But I think you know for for what we say about social media and you know just kind of my my criticism is regurgitated information as opposed to original mm-hmm. content and experience. But nonetheless, like there is good sound easy to digest and access information to help people be successful in this hobby. So, um, you know, in YouTube in particular, like we've got to, I mean, we've got to at least be seeing some trends of people being more successful that do get introduced into it and hopefully, right. So like everybody at home lockdowns, you know, huge spike in people keeping like all the at-home hobbies, whether you're making bread, you're making cheese, Mm -hmm. you're getting into basket weaving, like all the things that people got into during quarantine, fish keeping being one of them, like let's hope that those people in their boredom or whatever it is at home found good, good channels like Girl Talks Fish or Aquarium Co-op and were, were digesting and learning and getting good information to be successful in this hobby. So that would break my heart to hear like, oh yeah, of the of the, all the people that got into the hobby in 2019 and 2000, or 2020, uh, you know, 40% have quit. That would suck. That'd be sad. Hopefully we got a, like you said, there's been, I feel like a big boost in uh, aquarium keeping because of COVID. And so I do hope that they stay because it really is such a relaxing hobby. You know, after a long, hard day at work, like I just love staring at the fish, staring at the plants, just kind of zoning out, you know, Mm -hmm. and not listening to the news. (laughs) Yeah, no, turn that off. Yeah, don't. World on fire. (laughs) Yeah, don't do, don't do any of that. Yeah. My, my 75 gallon, I'm, I'm really happy with it. I mean, I've, I've, it's probably gone through like three or four major iterations, but right now it's uh, it's it's to the goldfish tank, which you know back when I listened to Adam or Adam Till and I up in Canada when we had our our podcast talking about you know my my fascination with goldfish and how that was the tank my 
girlfriend, now wife, um, I set up a 55-gallon fancy goldfish tank for her with, like, turquoise 3 So, like, turquoise has – or 3M has this um, – it's like a sand insert that when you want to, like, change the color of concrete in a pool, I think. Like, you, you put this stuff in whatever and, like, apply it, and then now you have a turquoise or a black or a purple or a red, like, whatever the color is, right? So she picked out this, like, awesome turquoise color. We put, like, fake coral in there, fake plants, um, ran, like, a Fluval 406 or something like that, whatever the older canister filter was. And we had a Ryukin, we had a Lionhead, we had a Pearl Scale, we had a couple other fancy goldfish, but we loved that tank. It was so awesome. Awesome. And now the 75-gallon is finally back to being a goldfish, or is now a goldfish tank. So I've got two black ranchus, one white, uh, or like one white body, but orange when uh, Lionhead. And then you've a, got to send me a picture I, of this because I that's like I would sure. love to do that in like a basement take yeah. where it's cooler, you know. Uh-huh. That sounds awesome. And they're just and they're just little fat bodies moving around. <laughs> um, and like the plan is to make this easy, so super understock the crap out of it. Which yeah. I think my own maturity as an aquarist, I have no problem having a severely understocked display tank. Yes, like yes. a severely understocked uh, planted. Uh, display tank because it's just that much easier right like you know it's not going to be the 150 malawi cichlids in a 75 which again i understand that for those kinds of fish you have to have a higher stocking density so they're not beating each other up but Mm -hmm. it's still cool man like it it gives them so much space to just kind of blub 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 around um the only bummer right now is that a lot of really really nice goldfish do come out of china and the Mm. domestic fly or the international flights the the passenger flights in and out of china are basically non-existent and so our ability to actually import uh, very, very nice goldfish. So G- GNH, a.k.a. Aquahuna, um, uh-huh, yeah. Jerry is just unable to get like the really, really nice goldfish. There, there's goldfish that come out of Thailand and some other Southeast Asian countries. But um, in his mind and his, his experience, the some of the best ones do come out of China. And just right now, hmm. um, he's not able to get them. So that's why like my dream, dream, dream goldfish would be a calico ranchu. So like black mm. body with a lot of white and orange uh, spots and just this really, really, really cool fish. Um, in, in my opinion, like that's, that's kind of like my dream, uh, my dream goldfish. Do you ever have my one worry? So I'd love to have a fancy goldfish tank one day, but my one worry is like swim bladder issues. Cause I've just seen some people online going like, Oh, it looked like a beautiful tank to me. What's going on with this mm-hmm. fish? So do you worry about that? Or is that, uh, like you just have to get good quality goldfish from a really solid source? I I mean, these things are so inbred. I don't know if, mm. you know, short of, short of it showing up like super skinny and like other sicknesses and diseases and whatnot like i i hate to say like maybe that's just par for the course when it comes to goldfish but you know it's it's definitely in the back of my mind so i try to not overfeed um i haven't gone so far as to like do the pee thing yet but you know i i will try to introduce more greens into their diet and just kind of knowing that like no matter I, I feel like there's been enough experience and things shared with ultra successful goldfish breeders and keepers that, um, you know, maintaining good water quality and just not overfeeding, like those are the things I'm going to shoot for and okay. hope okay. that I can give these guys the best life possible and, you know, hope that they, they can live as long and natural of a life as possible without needing any like invasive procedures or anything like that. 
Because so. I would say that's one of my fears, uh, just because I am in front of the camera, and I'm sure Corey experiences this too. It's always like you're hesitant to introduce a wet pet, mm. one that actually has a name, because if it doesn't do well and it disappears one day, like people ask, and then the judgment comes. You know? <laughs> so that's why I'm always like very careful about, hmm, maybe I'll just go with a hardier species, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I would hope, though, that people like reasonable people would say that is an aspect of this hobby. Like the, yes. you know, it's not like a dog, like the the veterinary care, the, the those things don't they exist to an extent, but not nearly to the same extent as dogs and cats and horses and all these other things that you can have as a terrestrial pet. So, you know, losing a fish is a part of this hobby, you know, mm -hmm. like maybe once, a, you know, once every couple of weeks, there will be something dead in my fish room, right? Mm -hmm. In an otherwise ultra-perfect healthy tank, something something will, will die because you just you just don't know what's going on with a particular fish. Uh, maybe it just got bullied. I don't, I don't know, like whatever the reason is. So I would hope that you could get that pet. And in the event of, you know, the, the mortality, it's, to me, it then becomes like, um, are you the type of YouTuber that's going to sensationalize the crap out of that mm. and go clickbaity? Or are you just going to be like, look, you know, this is what happened. Um, let's move on. And here's this other thing I'm going to talk about or show you. My, my failures basically become good lesson learned. 100%. Yeah. For people. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> when it's like, oh my gosh, something died every week. And it's like, what? Mm. Um, yeah. You know, and we'll, we'll leave it at that. So, all right. Origin story. You got into fish keeping because your friend could have been in the multiverse. It could have been chinchillas or ferrets or, you know, parakeets. Box whatever. Of parakeets. <laughs> um, how did your hobby then progress from there, right? So I guess what was that first tank? Describe that a little bit more. And then what, what does the progression look like? So basically, I learned that Betafish could be in a community tank. Uh, I started off too small. So then I was like, oh, okay. Basically, I found out through experience hard way that it was too small. How so small, I just how small is too small? Three and a half gallons. Okay. So uh i found out the internet is not always right <laughs> because there's just so many people who are like yes you can do it no you can't right and i was clearly looking for the answer i wanted right? can, can so you describe that, that three and a half gallon setup for us that was a beta and probably like three neon tetras okay uh the filter was way too fast <laughs> that was another mm. thing i didn't realize the the default kit one that comes with it right so after that i was like okay i'm just gonna do the three and a half gallon for the betta fish um, and then after that, I, I just had to have more fish, right? So the better <laughs> just stayed there. And then I was like, I'd seen all these beautiful aquascapes, right? But I wasn't confident enough to do planted tanks yet. So I basically bought a 20 gallon high and I tried to buy the most natural looking fake green plants I could. And at the time, National Geographic had a fake plant line. So mm. I tried to aquascape basically using fake plants. And that was my first, um, community tank it had albino quarries in it the neon tetras and in the middle and i had the fricata rainbow fish so by then i was really researching and i was starting to go to local fish stores so that oh, so it first started off as hatchet fish and that's when i had my first bout of ick so then i learned about quarantining property they died from ick but then i was able to the rest of them survived and i was able to replace them with the fricata rainbow fish so is um, so let's go chicken in the egg did you yeah. are you researching first discovering species that you like and then searching them out or are you going to local stores seeing what they have researching those and then buying them i think i was doing a lot of online research and that's how i knew i wanted something on the bottom level the middle level and the top and then after that i would research so I, that's when i started my excel spreadsheet yes <laughs> you're such a nerd yes 
and I would have the columns for like, what's the max size of the fish? What's the minimum tank size? How many do you need in a school? The temperatures, like I had the, everything plotted out. And then basically I would start rearranging them. I used a lot of, um, what is it? Uh, aqadvisor.com, you know, uh, they would kind of help you figure out roughly a calculator of whether you were overstocked or not. And then I nice. would use PowerPoint and I would take a picture of the fish from like, you know, and then just copy paste it roughly what size I thought it would be compared to my tank. And then I would put like, okay, I've got six of these quarries on the bottom. How many, what, what would it look like if I had the neon tetras in there? And then the, you know, you so did, basically you I did kind your of own, out. You did your own augmented reality for an aquarium. <laughs> yeah. That is basically fantastic. That is so cool. Oh so my yes, goodness. I absolutely, I'm, I, I tend to be that person that researches first. And when I go to the fish store, I know exactly what I want. Oftentimes I will call or message the fish store going, do you have this fish? If they don't, I don't even show up. Right. But when they do have that fish, I go in and then that's when I do do more of my exploring of like, oh, look at this. I've never seen this variety of German blue ram before, or I've never seen this variety of whatever before. And so I do get to see more species that way. But yeah, I, I hate shopping. And so that's why I, I like to be like very like targeted, like, OK, I have to go to the store. I'm going to do as much research as possible. Go in, get out. That's my that's my usual deal. That's awesome that you're so researched up front, which, you know, on the on the scale of like super researched or not researched at all, like you are biasing on the probably safer side right? <laughs> or the better side for you and the fish. So where yeah, I don't get that whole like, oh, I went in there and I came back with some surprise fish like I because I don't also have the room. Mm. Right. People have fish rooms, so they have usually plenty of room to buy a cool fish that they saw in an auction or at a fish store. But for me, because I'm so limited in space kind of willingly uh a lot of our house is taken up by my husband's uh games <laughs> and so i get some areas but i'm just kind of naturally a little more minimalistic and so i have found at least right now in this season of my life with like younger kids like three tanks is like a good a good number for me or, any more than that it's, it's or gets so hard. hear me out <laughs> oh no fish room with auto water change and <laughs> you can damn near go as many tanks as you want <laughs> I okay, so you just water change, we just water change your way through it, just power water change through my it. My husband and I have been kind of arguing over how we want to allocate the space in our basement because that would be a good place, mm -hmm. right? To set up like a rack or something like that, but. He has a lot of stuff too. So we're, we're currently, <laughs> we're currently like parsing through like, okay, I get this corner because it's unfinished, right? So it's like, I get this corner, you get that corner. Where would we install like a utility sink so I could do water changes? Like we are talking about that, but yeah, we'll see. I'm, I'm <laughs> it's so, a long time. I'm so happy <laughs> that I have a female aquarist who can then, who, who, who is representing the multiple tank syndrome, but from the female part of the relationship. Right. And it's not always like Randy and a dude talking about like their wives yeah. and whatnot, like, which my wife shows me so much grace and lets me get away with a lot of crap. So, you know, I more, you know, she's awesome, super amazing, but I'm glad that now it's, Oh yeah. Me and Irene, who's a gal, she is representing Randy's side in the relationship. As auto a auto water changes would be a definite mm -hmm. game changer. Like that's what probably would make my because right now it's a time limitation. I feel like yes. not necessarily space or money per se, but just I've got to like work and then I got to cook and then take care of the kids. They've got homework, you know, and obviously my husband is helping out with that. But it's just 
they take a lot of attention. Oh, 100%. Uh, 100%. (laughs) Absolutely. And I mean, I I don't know if you're like me, but I mean, in my situation, we have no like extended family. So it's just us. Like there's no, there's no reprieve from the grandparents coming over to watch the kids for like an hour or anything. It's just, it's all on my wife and I, and you know, no, that's, that's, that's our life that we chose and we love it. Uh, but you know, you, you, you've got a, you've got a sacrifice here and there on like the hobbies and, um, you know, Robert just had his, his little girl, I think she's maybe like, uh, three weeks now, but, um, I, I, I'm not going to be the guy that's going to be like, everything changes. Like, you know, you're, yeah. you're going to experience things on your own. And so there's no amount of like me telling you something is going to uh, do anything. And not that he was necessarily soliciting. But the one thing I did tell him was that you really find out what your true passions are. When you have mm. such limited time because you're dedicating so much to your work and to your family, um, the the extra time, the extra curri- curricular time you have, you truly find out that, oh, yeah, Netflix, that doesn't mean anything to me. Like, right. you know, right. taking care of this fish room or, or setting up a display tank, like the, the Aquarius hobby, like that's what truly matters. And then now it's kind of competing with that and like Warhammer, and, but whatnot. Like, you know, you, you drop all of these extra things and yes. you really hone in and figure out like what your true hobbies are, your true passions, because one hour, right, in the evening when your kids are in bed, yes. like if you've got like the one hour, that is the most precious one hour <laughs> ever. And lately I, I have found that I've just been, I don't know what it was about the, this summer, but I've just like, once the kids go down, I'm like looking at just random, like YouTube nonsense, like uh-huh. watching a channel that just shows boats going through this choppy part of water, like in a Florida inlet. Like, what am I doing? Like, why am I watching these boats? I'm like, no more phone, no more phone. Go do some stuff. Yeah. Go feed some yeah, brine yeah. shrimp. Go, go do a little bit more tank maintenance than you normally would. So, yeah. Yes, but uh, and actually, what's so it's super fun, and I think how you and I can kind of connect in this uh, interview as well is just that uh, you know the exposure to the kids to the hobby, and mm-hmm. now my oldest boy uh, Rowan is four, going on five here pretty soon. But he you know helps me. He actually started doing some tank maintenance. Like he wanted, oh my goodness. he wanted to do gravel vacuuming in the the discus tank because um, I, I, I we've never actually shown this in my room, or I don't even know if we've actually shown it in videos of Dean's fish room. But we have this. Dean and I both employ, and I'm sure many other people do this. I'm not trying to say that, you know, Dean's the creator of it or anything. I'm certainly an imitator. Uh, but it is a um, basically a long tube to a bucket. And so you hook up your gravel vac to that. Mm-hmm. And so you can gravel vac all of the tanks in your fish room. And they all gravel vac to one bucket. And from that bucket, mm-hmm. you then have a sump pump that, you know, with yes. a float switch. And so yeah, that's, yeah. and so that's what my boy, he sees me do a lot of times. So I'm like going around gravel vacing and, you know, when you're done with one tank, you crimp one end, hold it up, move to the next tank, let a little nice. bit go. Cause you're kind of paranoid to get, you know, cross water contamination, Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know? And so you, you just keep doing that. And with bare bottom tanks, it's pretty easy. There's no extra gravel to suck up or anything. And so he finally, um, wanted, he, you know, he wanted to do the discus tank. So he gets up on a little step stool and he takes his shirt off cause he has to like reach into the tank too much. <laughs> oh, and, so he's like, he's in there, you know, just gravel backing away, sucking up all the, you know, what little mold will build up in that tank. Cause I try to do that one at least once a week or my discus mm-hmm. tank. Well, most of my tanks I try to do at least once or, or once or twice a week. But uh, yeah, so now he's kind of graduated to that. So at first it was feeding, right? Uh-huh. Like what the boys want to feed all the time. And now yeah. he wants to do some tank maintenance. And now he, um, I let them shoot the pipettes of brine shrimp. So as I hatch out aquarium okay. co-op brine shrimp which are amazing yes, of course only the best <laughs> only the best only the best so he shoots those little pipettes into the various tanks that i tell him to um and then now he wants to help actually make it right so now he knows that it's oh. he knows that it's the one scoop of brine shrimp he knows it's the one scoop of the of the 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 
Fritz RPM Salt slash yeah, yeah. Aquarium Co-op Brine Shrimp Salt. Um, and so he, he helps me make them. He's not doing like the airline or anything other, overly advanced. He's just doing the dumps right now. Yes. But now he's like learning about you take the brine shrimp eggs, mix them with basically ocean salt water, and uh-huh. they'll hatch two days later. Right. So he's getting this exposure to the cycle, which, you know, how many kids get, get an opportunity to kind of do that in their fish room mm-hmm. or, or in a fish room in general? I should get my uh my kids more involved right now they're mainly handling the family dog which is bigger right and easier <laughs> for them to handle and also our leopard gecko too so oh, nice. uh, uh that one takes live insects and i'm like eh, yeah you can handle that <laughs> and they think it's really cool right like holding up the little wiggly worm right? uh-huh. i'm like cool you you handle that but yeah i should get them more involved i tend to you know now that i really think about it I do tend to feed them when they're not around because I, I don't know. I just find it really relaxing. So it's kind of like me time mm-hmm. in a way. And then when I do tank maintenance, usually they're just like off running around. But I should get yeah. them more involved because they, they're definitely interested. Well, there's that there's that fine line to walk of exposing them to it and then mm-hmm. like forcing them to it. So it turns into something that like a chore and they don't like it. Right. So for, right. for right. this, it's totally, you know, this is not the family business, right? Like Randy's fish room is not the family farm that puts food on the table per se. Right. Right. Um, so, you know, they can engage with it as they want to, where if I was a dairy farmer, I would probably have them like, you know, doing all the dairy farming things because yes. this is our, this is our livelihood. Um, right. Puts milk in the glass, but uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, they're just, you, they're just at that age where they want to do everything by themselves. They, they want to, to engage and participate. And so, yeah, you know, if you want to come feed by all means, Oh geez, you put 17 too many, you know, pieces of <laughs> that's food. That's my in there, fear. Like, ah! Maybe yeah. I'm too much of a control freak. Maybe that's why I haven't gotten yeah. them involved. Cause I'm just like, ah, and yeah. I'm seeing the, the wobbly hand, yeah. like trying to put the fish root in. I'm like, Oh my goodness. So <laughs> it's a little, little more difficult with flake, but, um, pellets, just like setting the pellets out, like the larger, the better, like the extreme, mm-hmm. um, sinking wafers so just putting the putting those out in front of the tank my son has a a, a 10 gallon tank in his room so taking the shrimp pellets putting the shrimp pellets Mm. out um using the extreme beta scoop to actually uh i think we're we're feeding that tank uh nano right now so just giving him the scoop and letting him do the scoop on his own uh Uh but no there's i mean there have been a fair share of like oh my god you just dumped like a week's worth of food in there. Oh, geez. We're, we're going to have to grab all back that one. I have accidentally done that before, <laughs> and it was a disaster. I was just like, oh, my goodness. It's it's for real, that ammonia nitrite spike. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> I thought I got it all out and, like, clearly didn't. <laughs> so. See, auto water change. You can just bust out your phone and I then know. engage that auto water change via your app from the luxury of your couch and just let that Randy's thing run really for an hour. Randy's really selling this to me. <laughs> I love it. I it's, love it. Well, it, it's, oh God, it's sad. I guess that's just my past life as a, a salesperson that just keeps creeping into me that when I hear objections, I immediately come up with uh, resolutions to those objections. <laughs> and how can we, how can we secure this deal, Irene? How can we make this happen? How can we get the auto water chain set up in your oh house today? <laughs> the one, you know what? I got to do more research. That's what my answer would be. I always have to do more research. <laughs> nice. Well, I'll shoot over some videos for you of uh, fish room tours and whatnot and how to set up your fish room. <laughs> So no problem. I can help you on that journey. Um, the the one I, maybe I've shared this before, but uh, the one thing I learned with switching over from the manual like clicky dial um, sprinkler timer to run okay. the, the solenoids for the auto water change, moving to the more high tech app uh, Bluetooth one, is yeah. that those things have smart features like drought protection and uh, they'll actually track your local weather. So okay. I had to spend like an hour researching how to bypass those things yeah. to just get it to run. Because <laughs> one day yeah. I'm like. 
man, has this tank, has this kicked off recently for this particular like rack? And sure yeah. enough, I look it up and it's like, your weather is, you know, you're raining this whole entire week. So we've, you know, it's not, it's not on. So I had to disable those for, for the various zones. So that's, that's a pro tip for anybody that's going to go disable all eco-friendly yes um, (laughs) yes yes and you know i don't know how things are in your neck of the woods in colorado but uh western washington we have all the water so Mm. i can run water changes and not be sad if i still lived in san diego i would be super sad at doing water changes because (laughs) yeah Although I think they, we're pretty good. I think Colorado actually sells water to California. Nice. Uh, so I think nice. we're good. <laughs> Who was it? I think it was uh, Captain Kirk. He had come up with an idea of like uh, William Shatner. I think a couple years ago, William Shatner had like had this like we should we need to build a pipeline from Washington, Western Washington to California. Oh, true, right? Do you remember that? You got some all that water. I don't remember that, but it's William a good Shatner, idea. Water. Pipeline. Yes, this is totally a thing. I'm looking this up. Share the wealth with the poor fish keepers in California. Here we go. Here we go. USA Today, William Shatner's fix for California drought, a pipeline to Seattle, uh, April 21st, 2015. I'm not crazy. There we go. (laughs) Good memory. There we go. When do I get my own like sidekick to help me pull things up on Google? That's right. The the, the big podcast. Billy Bob. Billy Bob, pull that up. Come on, Billy Bob. Help me out here. Help out your host. They'd have to know a lot about fish, though, to pull up the stuff we do, though. Like, they'd have to know all the jargon and all the crazy stuff. I love, one of my favorite thing is, things is looking up uh, Google Earth, Google Maps, of when people are like, oh, yeah, this, you know, Western African fish is found in this lake, and it's like pulling it up and zooming in and seeing it. Oh, or cool. uh, when I talked to Joe Fredenzi about where the first, um, where Dr. Endler had collected Endlers from in Venezuela, Lagos uh-huh. de Patos, so the the Duck Lake, like actually pulling that up and like saying, oh wow, that's super cool, or like, oh, it was here, but now there's like all this, you know, whenever this this satellite photo was taken, there's now all this human development that's encroached in the last you know three or four decades or whatever it's been. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, I do enjoy me some Google mapping or Google Earth slash mapping and whatnot. I am not good at geography, so I should probably start that habit too. <laughs> <laughs> so what is the what is the state then of your fish collection right now? I know you said you you are a little bit on the smaller side but what uh, kind of give us a rundown of your current I, setup. Uh, I am the lover of all things nano so I've got a five gallon planted beta tank and I got a 10 gallon breeding tank which right now I'm trying to breed pygmy corridoras nice so that's the only fish in there uh and then of course has plants in it and then I still have that same 20 gallon high uh community tank that has gone through many many iterations and so right now it's got the dwarf red coral platies or teacup platies, like some people like to call them. My centerpiece fish is a uh, powder blue dwarf garami. Nice. And then um, a bazillion like cleanup crew. So a mono shrimp, hillstream loaches, autosynclus catfish. And then for my son, he wanted some coolie loaches in there. So nice. Like, all right for you. Oh, and then um, I am traditionally a hater of all things snail, but I do have our first mystery snail, Sunstreaker. And so she is gorgeous yellow. Sunstreaker. <laughs> yeah. That's like an well, avatar, the like last airbender kind of name. Like Sunstreaker, are, um, just superhero. We love to name them all uh, geek names, a lot of Transformers names, because my husband's into that. And so we've got Sonic the Hedgehog, or Sonic <laughs> is the blue betta fish. Sunstreaker is a Transformer. Unicron is a Transformer as well. He's the, he's the powder like, blue. Isn't he like the world? Isn't sun, isn't, yes. He's like the he's world. The world so okay. he's the tank boss, right? So I had to give him this like mighty, giant, supreme ruler kind of name. So. Oh, man. 
<laughs> you are cr- you are crushing me on transformer kind of knowledge. Blue and orange too, just like the the powder blue. Uh, Dwarf Garami. That's so. awesome. Sunstreaker is a legit transformer. I like that. It is. It Super is. cool. All right. Uh, let's see here. Where were we gonna go with? That? Okay. So walk me through. Let's let's get some like practical, you know, tangible advice here. So your breeding mm-hmm. setup. You're trying to breed pygmy quarries, right? Yeah. So can you walk me through like what have you done so far? What have you tried? What what are some lessons learned? How are you doing success wise? Let's kind of unpack so I'm that. I'm basically trying to go for the whole like established super mature aquarium. Some people have been successful breeding them at higher pH, which is kind of what my natural water is, but you know, most of the time How high is it? Oh, uh, out the tap it's probably 8.0 Oh, 8.2 by the time it relaxes a little bit, maybe 7.8. Okay. Um, but I've been adding some catapa leaves. They kind of like the dimmer light. They are pretty shy, but I've, they've gotten used to me. I've got the kind of pile of rocks, you know, in one corner with some driftwood coming out. And then that pile of rocks has like tons of narrow leaf joppa fern coming out of it. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a little island setup. But that way, I figure if they're already fried, then kind of hide in the rocks, hide in that crazy mass i also have a ton of floating plants up top but they also like to hate i like to feed them where on the other side of the on the left side of the tank there's a lot of uh, dwarf sagittarius kind of just like wild grass look um so yeah the key things that people mention are um doing the giant water changes that are slightly cooler a few degrees to kind of trigger pretending it's the rainy season right feeding them really well so trying to do the baby brine shrimp a lot of rapashi you just constantly offering them food even easy fry um and small fish food mm-hmm. aquarium cup has like just lots of good nutritious food um what else yeah that's kind of the tactics i've been looking on the forums actually uh, the nice. aquarium cop forum uh and somebody was telling how they successfully bred their pygmy quarries so kind of been following their guidelines now have you been posting your breeding experience for those that were like oh man i would love to get some real-time updates on irene's i haven't oh. i'm kind of waiting for you, know, you gotta eggs. share the journey. <laughs> so, are you like me and that you only want to share when it's successful, so you don't feel like a goofball? Yeah, because it's gonna take like you know six months, whatever. Yeah. And oh, and then obviously having enough quarries, right? So that's key to breeding as well. So, when when did you start this uh, pygmy quarry breeding project, and how many how many actually are in the group? Sometime this year, I can't remember. Uh, I started off with nine it was a whole adventure it was crazy so i saw the pygmies and it was one of the times i did go to the fish store and i had a plan to just get unicron the dwarf grommy and i saw <laughs> these pygmies and i was like oh, i just have to breed them like i and there was just like a bazillion of them in this tank and so i got a bunch of them took them home put them in quarantine right and then less than 24 hours one of them's belly up oh boy 24 hours later belly up 24 hours later, two more belly up. I'm like, oh my goodness, like what is going on? I'm like frantically measuring. This was in a, a like somewhat established quarantine take because I had like a bazillion platy fry in there earlier. And like they were living in there. They grew up in there. Like, you know, it's an established sponge, mm-hmm. right? And everything. Uh, so finally, I, which I should have done earlier, I call the fish store and I'm like, hey, like our, I was thinking maybe they got a bad batch, right? So I was like, are any of your pygmies you know, going bad and like, nope, they're fine. And I was like, oh my goodness. Turns out, remember I mentioned my higher pH. Turns out 
uh, they're a local fish store, right? So their pH is kind of similar to mine-ish, but they were artificially buffering it down to oh. 6.4 and they did not mark it on the tank. And it was my fault, right? I always do my research beforehand and then I go in and out, right? So I didn't, I don't talk to the store employees a lot and be like, what are you feeding them? Like I didn't do my research in the store that and being seems, like, hey, is there anything I should know about this? That seems like so, such a like, you should be sharing that as the store, like, but they were super, if you think about it, like COVID times, you don't have a lot of employees, you're limiting the number, you know, like you're trying to get people in and out really fast. I, I saw, and it was a weekend too, right? When you go on weekends, it's just crazy. Yeah. So they're trying to help as many people as possible. And I was trying to be unfussy, right? Uh, not fussy at all. And so they probably didn't get a chance or they didn't think, you know what I mean? Like, cause they have so many tanks, who knows how many of them they've got special conditions on them. So anyways. So let's. I would personally just write it on the tank. So that well, way, that's what I'm saying. So, like, as say. a as a lean operations guy, I'd be like, all right, let's poke a yoke this thing. How can we make right. it as visually easy as possible for people to right. like not make a mistake? Right. And right, right, that right. would be, you know, if you're gonna do anything super outside of the ordinary, which right. dropping your pH by like 6.4. On the, and and again, folks that that don't know, there's a lot of people do, but the logarithmic scale, right? It's like Richter scale. It's not. It's not just like a a. a an equal step down, like it's in magnifolds of like, or magnitudes of 10, right? Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's, it's huge. Like that's a huge yeah. difference. And yeah. to not yeah. willingly share that or display it on the tank. Um, Cause I think that most, all we do is just our local water plus crushed coral is right. anything right. that we do in, in our store. I've so been shopping there for years. I have never had any issues with any of their fish. You know, I so trust them. And mm -hmm. I think they are just, super busy who knows when they got those fish in too you know um but i think they realize too that oh these are wild caught they're doing a lot better when we lower the ph for them um and so i just chalk it up to you know we all make mistakes right uh so Fair. i gave you know oh well so lesson learned though lesson learned, lesson learned are did they did they learn from this did they did they put in corrective action so the future instances with other customers this would be avoided I haven't talked to them since after okay. the initial troubleshooting set. Um, and so, okay, after that experience, so they basically all ended up passing away. And I'm not going to go into the whole long story of their refund policy and everything. Sure, sure. People ask me questions about that. But anyways, I decided I wanted to order tank raised corridors. And I like this time I was like real sure. I was like, okay, here's my pH. Here's my water parameters. Are your fish from Maryland going to survive? And I think it was like aquatic life farms, something like that. Mm -hmm. Anyways. Frank was real great. He Shout sent out to them Frank. to me. Good yeah. Job, and so I ended up, uh, and then some of them didn't make it all the way through shipping just because one of the bags leaked, but he was really good about packaging them in smaller bags. Mm. So only one of the small bags leaked. So all the rest arrived. I ended up having nine and then they were still a little shy. So I went to the fish store and I saw a little bag of four pygmies just floating. And I'm like, Hey, what's, what's up with that bag? And he was like, Oh, another, um, owner i guess brought them back because she only had four they were too shy and i was like i'll take them <laughs> so apparently i have 13 they're all doing great very very happy very fat so i'm nice i'm expectantly looking forward to them breeding soon that's so awesome we'll that's awesome so i can uh, i can kind of share a little bit of my corridor breeding journey right now yes please and so with the scleromastix barbatus right so okay. this was the tank that uh, i initially got the group i separated them like six and six and two different 20 highs the only difference was the substrate because i wanted to see if like pea gravel made a difference with like more of a sandy kind of gravel because you know who knows okay. maybe like maybe that's a difference let's have a little yeah. experiment here i've got the real estate to, to do that uh verifying microsoft outlook we don't want to do that don't you mess up this stream outlook get out of here um <laughs> yeah so 
yes, so I, I do that. Zero breeding activity for like a year. And I'm feeding these things really, really well. Maybe a little bit less than a year. And then I decide um, I end up freeing up one of my 40 breeders that I basically grew some angel fry out from like, uh, I don't know, uh, like from eggs to like half dollar size. So I grew out like awesome. chonky angelfish. And I was taking Robert angelfish. He was just swimming in my angelfish forever. It was pretty, <laughs> it was hilarious. Um, and so I freed up that 40 breeder. So I went ahead and put some, put some substrate in there, put some plants. And then I moved the, the two separate groups and recombined them back into one group. And sure enough, yeah. within like a week or two, I had breeding activity. I had eggs on the glass. And so then it's the, okay, so I got them, I got them spawning. Now it's the transitioning to, to the egg phase, right? Like getting those eggs out and um you know being successful with those and so i had like the first batch i did okay in the egg tumbler and i think i had a couple fry but then they ended up dying tumbler nice yeah so i I, I egg tumbled them and then a couple other batches after that i was doing egg tumbler and it was just wasn't being successful and i would put them in a different tank i'd keep them in their original tank uh, just to kind of keep the water the same and just wasn't having success they were fungusing and you know some of this could be that they weren't fertilized potentially but Mm. you know i ended up switching to using the aquarium co-op our um, our specimen container our, our catch cup and so I would hang that on the outside with a couple drops of methylene blue. And yeah. um, I think the first one I did of that, it ended up being successful. So nice. I got maybe of the 12 eggs that I was able to get, I got I think I got maybe like six or seven or eight actual fry. And so I'm like, oh my God, it's amazing. So every two days I'm doing water changes on this little small amount of water. I've got an air stone in there with very, very little amounts of you know air bubbles. I just need enough to oxygenate, but not enough to like make yes. it super crazy turbulent in there. And they end up growing up and I get a second clutch. Second clutch doesn't do well. A third clutch does do well. And so now I've got these two little groups going on these little hang on, uh, on two specimen containers hanging on the outside of a 40 breeder. Everything uh-huh. is great. Um, and then I move them to larger 10 gallon grow outs. And I've actually had some issues before moving quarries, moving guppies to larger grow out tanks and them dying. So huh. I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what's okay. happening there. Somebody else has shared that about them moving guppy fry to a grow out tank and then them not making the transition well. So I was very, very cautious. Like they're doing well in these little specimen containers, but I moved them to the 10 gallons and they survive, right? And so now it's been like a month or two and I'm just feeding them brine shrimp every single day. Yeah. And more recently, a couple weeks ago, actually no, before Peru, I was looking in there on the first group that was successful that had large, that that the fry are like pretty good size now. And I'm looking and I'm like, why why do they look a little funny? And they're, their pectoral fins are not developed. So they either, if they do have pectoral, they're like these little nubs Hmm. or they don't have any nubs at all. And I'm like heartbroken at this point. I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, what happened? Because I've been sharing it on the forum. And this is back to that whole like sharing something before you're super successful. Um, And I do need to give the forum post an update on this. But um, yeah, like they're they're that first group. I don't think any of them have developed pectoral fins. Everything Did else on the you, fish is it genetic? Did you look at any of the parents? No, to see they're if they fine. No, no, they're okay. fine. They're perfectly healthy. Barbados from a very reputable wholesaler of ours. And because it, that happened with my first uh, the albino quarries oh. I bred. Uh, it was a genetic issue. I didn't realize the mom had she had, was kind of blind in one eye basically. And I thought it was just from an injury, like, ah, mm-hmm. some little corridor spike went into her eye or something like that. It was genetic. And oh. her babies came out with either one blind eye or sometimes two blind oh, eyes. Wow. I was like, oh, okay. Now I know. Do not breathe this one. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. That's why I was curious yeah. about so what could have happened on, you know, 
using leveraging my my time and relationship with Dean. So we're in Peru, and I think I had this conversation with him when he and I are like in the hot tub at the hotel, and I'm like, <laughs> Dean, here's what's going on with my Barbados. What do you think? And he's like, that's actually happened to me before, and he said that to his knowledge, it's actually like a fungus. So early oh. stage development, he says that um, it could be a fungus that's actually causing those to not develop or to eat away or whatever it is. Uh, but genetically, though, like the parents, they're all like normal, healthy looking fish with fully developed fins and all that stuff. Um, and in the second younger group, there are some that have developed pectoral fins. So it does okay. look like, you know, I can at least get some that are uh, that, that will develop properly. So then it's so then it's OK. If my method of being able to actually hatch these eggs was successful, but long term or even like in that what I think is success, I'm having this fungus, bacteria, whatever it is. Like, mm. how do I how do yeah. I keep the thing that works to hatch them, but do something so that it's not, um, you know, it's not um, causing this fungus issue to happen. So I don't know. Maybe maybe I need to a... say anything like what did he recommend trying next time? I can't remember, actually. I think I was too distracted by the pool or something. I don't know. But I know I do need to follow up with him, though, and say, like, what what can we do? Um, one idea, I actually, I want to like pull that guy into my aquarium or my fish room and like lock him in there and be like, all right, Dean, help me out with this discus breeding. Cause that's something else where that's like, I don't know, probably 25% Randy, like isn't trying super hard with them, but like 75%, like, I just think I need a, a, some more guiding hands to, to help me with these setups. Yeah, um, yeah. and I've only recently started, like I, I fabricated this little like mesh screen to actually like protect the eggs from the parents. Cause one of the big problems I have right now is just the parents are constantly yes. crushing the eggs and I'm like, eh, you guys are breeding. I'll eventually give you some time now, later. But I think I want to revisit the discus breeding and actually like really, um, really give it, you know, more effort to see if I can actually get some successful hatches and, and clutches. And if you've heard my story before, my tiger turquoise, their first time laying eggs actually ended up hatching and the fry grew out. I, th I don't know if it was their first time, but nonetheless, uh, a clutch was successful. They grew mm -hmm. out. Uh, a ton of them and the parents were feeding them off their side and everything was great yeah. for like a week week and a half i'm feeding baby brian trip now at this point they're starting to get their shape and everything is awesome right the parents uh -huh. go and lay eggs I'm like okay i should probably move the fry to a different tank i didn't yeah. have another tank ready up to that temperature so i get a 10 gallon ready i'm i put the heater in there and the next day when i get home from work i'm like okay this is the day i'm gonna move the fry well guess what the parents they're ate all gone. the fry <sighs> Goodness. And so like when oh, I was super close, when I was super close to being successful with discus, like at a very early stage of like, oh my God, like this is one of the first true attempts of me like, oh yeah, let's, let's like actually raise these discus up and breed them. And yeah, the parents ah. crushed them. And then from that point forward, I have been cursed. Oh my goodness. I have been Do they cursed. keep eating their eggs or the fries? Yeah. Oh yeah. Is yeah. That, problem? that no. parent group. So I have three established breeding discus i have two mm -hmm. groups of tiger tur two pairs of tiger turquoise that lay eggs that spawn and one of which is the that group that ate their fry um and then i've got uh, blue diamonds i have blue diamonds that will lay uh but they will eventually eat their fry as well my <laughs> red melons might actually just end up being two girls or two boys that don't beat each yeah. other up uh we'll see about that and i for sure in the group of uh wild discus i for sure at least have a, a pair in there somewhere i just need to pull another two tiger turquoise out of that tank and actually i just want it to be a pure go back to being a pure wild discus 40 breeder um, do you think you would ever pull the eggs like i think dean talks I've about tried, i've tried i've tried but i just feel so like 
I would rather, I need to just come up with a better way. Because what, what, what the pro discus breeders do, like when Corey and I went to Dragon Discus, is they'll take, mm-hmm. the, so you have the, the discus, con, the breeding cone, right? Yes. That's tapered up towards the top. They'll actually take stainless steel or even galvanized steel, and they make these little cages around it. And the whole point there being that the parents can see, they can integrate, they can like, sensory they can interact with the eggs except for touching and they can't eat them and then as they turn to wigglers and then as the fry become free swimming the parents are familiar with them but they never had a chance to actually eat them and so many like many like there were there were hundreds of those of those cages like just on racks not in use and like that's clearly something that they do um so one of the things that i tried was i had some spare green what is that like needlepoint kind craft of craft mesh? That's cra- what I usually so I had call it. Some yeah, green craft mesh, right? And so I cut two holes in it, and I took Zis suction cups because those things are freaking the best, and I uh-huh. put those in there. My thought was the discus should be able to see and smell and sense their eggs, and this uh-huh. was the, that first tiger turquoise group. And so I put the mesh up against the wall where they had laid the eggs because these discus don't lay on the cone. You know, they're okay. they're hardcore. Okay. They're all about <laughs> they're all about laying on the Zis in the back. They're lay about all about on the heater in the everywhere back. but everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> but yes and on the side they, they like the sidewall a lot so i put it over that right and so there's still a good quarter inch between that mesh and the the eggs uh, yeah. i come back in an hour later and the male is beating the crap out of the female has never done that before so i think they actually could not see them and sense them and he's like you ate the eggs and so he's yeah like beating yeah her up. so i i took that off i immediately took that off and then they went back to normal, and then like a day later they ate the eggs. So okay, so you've got your new DI, your next DIY project was you got to make the same kind of mesh screen Some, thing something. that you saw. Yeah, so I, I I need to go around. Well, I need to go around Home Depot and see like what other kinds of things that are going to be, um, you know, large enough for them to see, but not large enough yeah. where they can actually like, get their mouth in there. And then how do I affix it to the side of a glass aquarium because. They, my discus do, and the and the other group does this as well. They will breed on the glass as opposed to the cone. Where I think the blue diamonds actually do. I think they actually have the the few times that they have spawned, they will spawn on the cone. Okay. Um. Yeah. You can do it, Randy. <laughs> I believe in you. <laughs> and then you can post everything on the forum once you're successful. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Once I'm successful, yes. Um. And then I can finally submit for my breeders award points, uh, mm. breeding discus. Which that's that's kind of the season that I'm in right now as a fish keeper is. Yeah. Um. Getting up to and part of this is just to troll Dean and be like, hey, dude. I mean, it's not that it's hard. Master breeder, I'm like, Randy. If it, it's, it, clearly, if they gave it to me, it's not that hard, right? Like, <laughs> I am so bad about filling out those sheets, and I I need to like back fill out uh, them. But like, you know, since fish clubs haven't met in quite a while, at least mm-hmm. ours hasn't. Uh, it's just kind of I forget about it, right? Because I'm not going there once a month and be yeah. like, oh yeah, I need to fill out my sheet, you know, for whatever, whatever. So. And plus, you know, like you said, with the auto water change system, I could speed up that process of breeding <laughs> even more fish. <laughs> so what? Um, so then to kind of circle back to the uh, the pygmy quarries. So right now you're kind of in the holding pattern of give them the good water quality. Uh, yeah. We don't have to chase that low uh, that low pH, right? Because they came from a water source that was pretty similar to what you currently have out of the yeah. tap you're throwing some katapa leaves in there and right now it's just hold steady feed them real well and just see what happens um just yeah, let, just, just be patient and let them run their course i do need to start uh bre- um doing the live baby brian shrimp again i was doing that every single day when i was trying to breed epistogrammas which i had the same problem of them eating their eggs all the time mm. uh and so 
uh, I need to get back into that, but our house has just been under a lot of construction recently. And so a lot of our stuff that's normally in the bathroom in the basement is all out in the living uh, area. And so I'm like, I don't have any space to, but now things have calmed down again. So I've got the, the Zis brine shrimp hatchery. I, I've got all my stuff. So I just need to start that process again, which is eating a, mostly frozen, which so. is an amazing way to hatch baby brine. Yeah, shrimp. it is, is really nice. And my hands are actually small enough. <laughs> I can go underneath and put a little collection cup just for the brine shrimp. Yeah. Unlike my, my muted hands, apparently. <laughs> I've heard, I've heard stories. But you need to, you need to like hanging it though. Hang, when you get that fish room, Irene, with the auto water yeah, change system. Yeah, if I had, yeah. And you start hanging that brine shrimp, uh, that brine shrimp uh, hatchery. That's that's the bee's knees right there. So I, I, yeah. Let, let's ask you this question: Which way do you aerate? Do you aerate through the nozzle underneath, or do you go up through the lid? I take through through the lid and use that that uh, rigid airline tube thing they provided. Mm. Yeah. Try going, try going in the nozzle down below. I, I think what? To, that's the that's the move. Like totally. I don't know why Corey and Dean go go from the top. Like you got to try. It's just it perfectly fits airline tubing, and you get like you don't like. There's no rigid airline tube to like place or anything. You just run it uh -huh. in there, turn the valve on. Obviously, you've got your air pressure running, and then it just yeah. does this excellent job of aerating. I find oh, it to be perfect. Oh my goodness! And I have never thought. So then, when you drain, you just pull out the airline. Yep. And then so. Okay. So you you shut it down, right? You shut that valve down, and yeah. that let you you let it settle for I don't know five to ten minutes. You got your little light source on there, which I've actually learned to for me don't do direct light source. I actually do indirect light underneath the bottom, so oh, that way there's less light hitting everywhere, and okay. I find that okay. that causes more concentration at the bottom with okay. just having like the light shining off something underneath the okay. the 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 hatcher. Um, yeah, so you, so you let it all settle, and then you open your valve up, and then and then drain. Yeah, oh I mean, my goodness, I'm game changer. I'm totally trying yeah. that. I mean, you heard it here first, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> it's one less thing. It's one less thing to have to 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 clean. Yeah, that's true. Um, that's true. And, it and, does kind of get gunky. Yeah. You know? and, and in your setup, though, because I've got all my airlines up above, right in a loop. In the event of power outage, like always, you know, make sure you've got your airline yeah. up above. Like you know this, but I'm just... I do have my check valve going. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Yeah, but I I find it to be the absolute best way. It's one less thing to clean as well. Okay. Like you're not cleaning off the rigid airline tubing that's got all the you know, extra gunk maybe that builds up okay. on it over the 48 hour hatch cycle or whatever. But, I will uh, absolutely give that a shot. Anything to make my life yeah. easier and, and fish keeping faster, yeah. it, I will do. Because it's coming up right from the bottom. Like, I feel yeah, like that's yeah, like max, yeah. max, you know. The perfect, yeah, area to have that airflow. I get it. I would <laughs> think so. Although you're going to be like, Randy, that was a terrible idea. That was the worst. No, no. I, I'm going <laughs> to, has somebody posted this on the forum? I feel like this is like key information people should know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Are you, are you telling me that <laughs> I should works, post it? Absolutely. It should you be. know, there's already like a bunch of like how to hatch brine shrimp forum posts mm -hmm. i feel like that would be a nice little hack to just mm. be like oh and by the way if you made it to the end of this post try this <laughs> <laughs> it should be a forum poll do you do you air it from the top of the, of yeah, the exactly. hatcher or do you air yeah, it from the bottom yeah, yeah. of the zis hatcher so although Corey would try to throw his weight around and be like no no you got to go from the top and that's actually that's kind of the origin of the uh the night shower day shower post i don't know if you saw that on the oh, instagram or the, or the you guys, from youtube uh, yeah <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh, uh, and for the record, night shower is sixty percent on top versus the forty percent of people who do who nice. do the uh, the morning shower. 
I would be a morning person. That's just how I roll. Oh, work out, work out oh, and then shower. take a shower. <laughs> but when I was in, when I lived in Houston growing up, I mean, it's just way too hot. Mm-hmm. So you have to take a shower before you go to bed. Otherwise, the bed's going to be nasty. In Colorado, <laughs> it's like perfect temperature. Nice. So, yeah. Nice. Well, I'll never tell Corey that I'm mildly agreeing with you on that. So. <laughs> Yeah, that was that was good times. Uh, okay, so Irene, we were like, man, we we didn't even hit like the main topic, and we're already at like an hour and ten. I'm minutes, just so. that interesting of a person. That's hey, why. <laughs> it happens, and that makes things easier for me as a host. So let's touch a little bit on um, writing blog articles. So, like, what has been your experience of um, going from? So you were, a, you are a college graduated electrical engineer. Um, you worked in a, a, for a company doing electrical engineering kind of things. And now you write blog articles and produce YouTube content for a fish store, basically. So like, what, what did that kind of look like? Yeah. So (laughs) how did that happen? And and how are blog, like, um, kind of fill me in on your process for writing good blog articles because yours, yours are phenomenal. Thank you. I so got out of college, joined an engineering company, and that engineering company had three different routes. You could either go into R&D, research and development. So that's your typical hardcore engineering. You could go into marketing for engineers. So after the engineers make the product, somebody's got to like write the content around it, like write those technical white papers, go to the trade shows, do the website, you know? Um, and a lot of times the R&D guys, they don't, they're not great. <laughs> like the people, the people, people connection, right? And then we had sales, so people who would sell the, the engineering products. And so I went the marketing route. And so that's how I got used to writing technical white papers. Um, and so my career right before Aquarium Co-op was actually kind of a technical marketing firm for hire. So if your engineering company was too small to have its own marketing firm, you could hire our marketing firm and then I would write your technical white paper and your presentations and all that. But it was just really... Um, I would say mentally taxing. It's like being in college, honestly. It's it, every single week. It's like your professor teaches you something new, and you have to write a paper on it. And then the next week, you're gonna forget it all, and your professor is gonna teach you something oh, new, geez. and you write a paper on it. And so it was like one week I'm writing about capacitors. The next week I'm writing. I have to learn all about lidar for smart cars. And the next week wow. is just like my brain was just like hurting so wow. badly. Uh, so writing about fish and something I love <laughs> is crazy easy, and I love it. But there are a lot of similarities of how do I take some very technical information? I feel like this is a very, very technical um, hobby in many ways. And how do I simplify it for someone who is new to the hobby, but also still make it relevant for somebody who's maybe more experienced in the hobby and they both find value out of it. So I would say my process uh, right now is a lot of it is combing through some of Corey's most famous popular videos that have been like published like two, three years down the road. And it's like really great information. And why don't we convert it into a blog form? Because some people just aren't YouTubers, right? Mm -hmm. And they would rather consume it in more of a text format. Um, from there, I would I have a keyword research tool that Corey pays money for. And so I kind of search like, what are the top questions that people are asking about? Let's say, I don't know, powerheads, right? That we I had a blog post that just came out this week. What are the top questions that people are asking about, about water circulation in freshwater aquariums? I'll go to Google, you know, like when you type something into Google, they'll often have the top questions that are asked about that topic. So I kind of look for what are people asking about I do my research, whether it's based on Corey's um, 
video or a lot of times in his videos, he doesn't cover everything. And so I have to do my own research and look at other sources. And then it's like, is this source trustworthy? Can mm -hmm. I trust what they're saying? And then take all that information and then put it into some kind of make an outline and put it into some kind of usable format. Mm -hmm. And so I try to make it into a very like, again, easy to digest and really pinpointing those like top questions that people are asking about let's say powerheads or whatever. Uh, and then from there, insert my stock photos in there, send it off to Corey. He reviews it and then I upload it and then it goes off into the ether. So I do mm -hmm. a little bit of marketing around it. So I do tend to, you guys see it. I post it every week on the YouTube community tab. So it's going to be there if you ever miss it. And it also gets sent out on the e-newsletters, but really it's Google is picking it up. So Google search is picking it up based on all the kind of keywords I'm putting in there, search engine optimization, all that. Uh, yeah, and that's that's kind of the trick to writing blog posts. Yeah, and, trying and to the, keep it interesting. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. And as enormous as YouTube is in influencing our hobby, um, the the simple Google search to a blog article for kind of yeah. anything is really key and really fundamental. Like you know, whatever it is I get into, of course you're gonna do the Google searches and my first instinct, you know, to your point is to actually look at something written as opposed to just diving into YouTube and like watching this person, you know, spiel about something for 10 minutes before they actually yes. go and explain what the thing is I'm looking for. So, you know, finding good blog sources. And also I, I would assume that our blogs are not jam packed with like ads and crap. Correct. So that is, I hate that. Oh my goodness. That's <laughs> well, another that's like, like, they got to make money, right? They got to yeah. make money. So no, they don't. No, they don't. A business <laughs> like Aquarium Co-op. <laughs> a business like Aquarium Co-op, we have products. Yeah you know, that can support. And when you, when you guys click on our blog post and then you click on a product that's linked in there, you absolutely support the process of us continuing to offer free educational yeah. content for you guys. So thank you everyone. Yeah. <laughs> and that's actually, blog. that's actually a really valid angle too, that I never even had considered as far as like what, what would be a, an advantage of consuming one of our blog articles versus mm -hmm. another one is that you're not going to be inundated with a million pop-ups and 50% of your screen real estate being taken up by a scrolling ad, which, you know, yeah. very, very distracting. Um, well, and it's hard to tell sometimes whether, because I'm doing my research online too, whether these blog posts that I'm reading are accurate or not, because a lot of times they'll be like, oh, top 10, I don't know, filters, right? But a lot of these, these blogs, they're being basically like kind of uh, funded by companies like they're like paying them like hey if you promote our filter mm. then and write a good thing about it and you're like is this review actually legit or not versus at aquarium cop you know us we only offer like we don't offer a bazillion filters right or mm -hmm. a bazillion whatever's like we have curated our product selection like it's only the best like what we personally use we know it's trusted it's proven if you buy into our culture and kind of the way we use you know, fish keep the way we do fish keeping, like the, we're only going to offer you like the top product and you don't have to swim through like, Oh, there's like a hundred bottles of fish food. Like I have no idea which one to use. It's like, Nope, these are like the key ones we use. So that's kind of another reason why I like our blog posts. It's like, we're only going to recommend like what we personally use. Mm -hmm. and it's not going to give you 20 choices for the yeah. same thing. Yeah. It's a heavily curated uh, product yes. offering. And you know, sometimes it'd be nice to be able to offer the moon, but at other times it's like, no, this like this, this makes great business sense, but it also makes great sense just for the consumer to not be inundated with a million different types of varieties of the same product. Um, and you know, I, I feel bad when you walk into smaller mom and pop brick and mortar shops and yeah. they're basically like, 
kind of held at knife point to carry like every skew under the sun of a certain brand. It's like, oh, you want to sell this wildly popular product? Well, guess what? You're going to set up this massive display that has 30 other skews on it because you want these like one or two main popular skews that we carry. And it's a really kind of gross aspect of not just our hobby, but like many, many, many industries do that to, to retailers. Okay. Oh, you want this thing? You're going to sell the whole kit and caboodle then um, if you if you want to offer this. Where, where we can go, no, 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 my friend. Yes. We are just going to carry that. And if you yes. don't want us to carry that, then that's okay. We won't. And more often than that, it's like, okay, you can just have this one thing. So. Well, I do feel, yeah, I feel very lucky that Aquarium Co-op does have the fan base that you guys do support us so that we aren't forced to, oh, wow, in order to carry this product, we do have to take up you know, a room with 30 other products that we don't want to use, yeah. right? We we do have the luxury of yeah. doing that curated. I have collection. no room in our warehouse to carry <laughs> unneeded excess products, so I can... Didn't I hear Corey shopping for more warehouses? Uh, Are you going along those trips, too? I'm the one dragging him along, yeah. Ah, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> But yeah, we did it. We did a little warehouse shopping, and hopefully, uh, hopefully, we'll have some some positive news here in the future. But uh, yeah, it's a uh, good luck with that process. Ah, yeah, it's gonna be a breath of fresh air when a new warehouse is set up. But the uh, like, we're just in the infant planning stages, and so it's gonna be a lot of my a lot of, a lot of brain cycles are gonna be dedicated to this new warehouse. No, um, Better you, not me. <laughs> <laughs> like Irene, you gotta come in. Randy passed out. Yeah. We need we need to leverage your experience. Um, I know nothing. That's okay. Neither do I. I just fake it. Fake it till you make it. Um, so you were, how did, how did you start writing for Aquarium Co-op? And I can, I can give some backstory of we, maybe Corey had written some blog articles, but I know, you know, just as we have grown, we need to um, break off and specialize and have specialized roles. And so one of that is with blog articles. And I think kind of how it starts out with, and you alluded to how, what companies do for technical writing or marketing materials is that if they're not large enough to have that own department, they'll kind of farm it out to a contractor. And then they get to a point where they are large enough and then they bring that in-house. And so I think that's been our growth with blog articles and that we know it's important. We need to provide it. We're not, um, there's enough on our plates as it is that we can't do it. So we have to go out and find somebody that can. And then you get to a point where you can actually just bring that person on full-time, right? It's that important. It's that much of the business. It's 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 you know large enough to, to necessitate a full-time employee. Um, and I have read some of the blog articles for the hobby, you know, Corey provides a topic like goes to, I don't know, freelancer.com, like whatever the heck the website mm -hmm. is and the level of quality and the things that I've read to proof were terrible. There are many, many, many people out there that will just, you know, kick out whatever. And maybe for other companies, that's cool. Like, Hey, you check these main boxes, like, Instead of an X, you use a check mark, even though we asked you to do an X instead of a check mark kind of thing. But they'll just go ahead and take that and be like, that's good, where we're always like, no, nah, that's garbage. And then all of a sudden, like, you had come along somehow, and it's like, man, <laughs> this article is amazing. Like, yes, like, we should totally use this. Like, it's going it, to, it's at a premium price, but it's a premium product. And that's kind of what we're also all about. So, with your brain exploding as you learn new things every week for your day job, mm hmm. How did you decide to start doing some freelance blog articles for fish? So uh, it was only ever Aquarium Cop. 
uh i kind of did like i would transfer some of my youtube videos into my own blog posts on my own website but they were very very casual uh honestly what happened was on one of his live streams Corey was like oh we're looking for somebody to do our e-newsletters because he didn't want to do them anymore right so i emailed him was like hey you know i have this background oh by the way i could also transform some of your videos into blog articles too i have that ability and he kind of honed in on that. I don't know if that was like the start of the blog search or if he had already been searching, but I've seen like he clearly did, you know, tried out lots and lots of people. And so eventually I we got to the point where I offered he he contacted me back. So I think he had tried some other people. It didn't work out. And he was like, "Hey, I remember you saying, you know, the blog posting, do you want to uh, throw your hat in the ring. I was like, sure. Why don't I? And I kind of, at that point, I wasn't really looking for another job. And so I was like, why don't I just do some guest posts? I was looking to actually promote my YouTube channel. <laughs> and so I was like, I'll just do some guest posts for you. And he really liked them, you know? And then he was like, okay, let's do this on like a contractor basis. And then he still really liked it. And then he was like, okay, at some point, I guess he couldn't find another cheaper <laughs> blog, post, <laughs> blog writer that had the quality of mine. And so he was like, what would it take to get you on board full-time? And I was like, all right. So kind of looked at the numbers. And at the time, I was actually a contractor for my previous company too. And I was like, if you give me benefits and match my previous company, let's go. Nice. And so that's that's what he did. Did and, you, uh, did so talking the decision over with your husband, was there any hesitancy of like, man, we're going from this like major established industry career path, working yeah. for somebody that's got, you know, you, you effectively have less skin in the game or there's less risk there, I would think. You know, and for myself as well, like coming from a multi-billion dollar multinational company to like, oh, I'm gonna go work for a fish store. Yeah. Outside yeah, yeah. of Seattle, no, Washington. There right? was, I definitely knew my previous company had like lots and tons of work coming in, you know, like it was going to be a stable paying job, but it was just killing my soul. <laughs> I can feel it. Just, I yes, could not yes. like, I just, and I was at a point where I needed to start working full time again because my kids were both, you know, in elementary school. And so I had to, and I just could not imagine expanding to full time doing this, like, you know, eight hours a day or whatever. And mm -hmm. I was just like, we have got to change. And it was a bit of a risk because I was like, yeah, it's a smaller company. I mean, it kind of felt, I mean, not, it was not that it was a startup, but it just felt so small for you know? sure. And I was like, but I don't know. I think that it was just so enticing because he was really willing to match uh, kind of what I wanted in an offer. And it was about fish and <laughs> I just would love, you know I mean? It just sounded like so perfect. So I was like, let's give it a shot. And the fact is I still had a really good relationship with my previous company. So I'm sure if like Aquarium Cop had fallen completely apart and it didn't work out, like they probably would have been more than happy to take me back. And then I'd have to... <laughs> have my soul drained again <laughs> for a living so. how do you uh when people ask like who you work for like what do you do like how do you describe that because i find oh, that to be mildly challenging <laughs> i say i do marketing for an aquarium company mm. and then i just try not to get into it mm. <laughs> i just like leave it they're like oh that's interesting i'm like hmm yeah, and I just don't say anything else because it's complicated. Yeah, it is, I don't know. Like, I guess depending on the conversation, like sometimes I'll say I work for a fish store or sometimes I'll say I work for uh, like if I really don't know the person, I'll just say like, oh, yeah, I work for, a you know, e-commerce. Yeah, I, I do, I do marketing. I do, I do operations yeah. supply chain for an e-commerce company. We have a warehouse <laughs> up in Everett and just kind of leave it at that. Uh, sometimes I'll probe more and then inevitably it'll be like, yeah, and I also have a fish room of 40 aquariums. And it's like, yeah. what? 
I never ever go there unless like you're close enough where I'm willing to invite you to my house and you will see them. Then I'll share that with you. But I just like I don't. (laughs) As as much as she'll like make fun of me, it is the ultimate party trick for my wife to show people the fish room. She's like, oh yeah. Do you want to see a fish room? And it's like they're like, what? Yeah, come on. Let's (laughs) let me let me show you this room that my crazy husband built in the garage and what he does and like when people walk in they don't know what to expect they're just like what is this and then i tell them and this is a small fish room like this is not even this is not a large fish room this is a small fish room like if i had a basement in the i Midwest, love what you've done with it though i love it absolutely it's, it's, it's just awesome. a, it's just a crappy version of what dean has that's you that's know, all i say <laughs> not everybody can have an urban fish farm like Corey and like dedicated you know giant former car garage transformed into a huge breeding facility kind of it's it's pretty wild and actually if anything you need an excuse to come out so you can see elmer in person i know i can't wait he's so big by the time i get there that turtle is the cutest most adorable thing that you can see like it like waddling itself in the water as it swims like oh my god you're adorable like do i have to try to get this like is he still really shy or is he getting oh, coming no, out of his shell? Can, I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you stay in that shell, Elmer, all right? You got a lot riding on you, buddy. Um, no, I mean, he's pretty, he's always out and about. He doesn't like run away okay. or anything. Because um, all I've seen is only the very first video. Right. And obviously that was like right when he got released. So of course he's going to yeah. be a little shy. But. Yeah, no, he, he comes he comes out, snap pictures of him. Okay. I posted some on, on Instagram. I think Joel was able to post some on Instagram. So yeah, he's definitely swimming out and about. And then like that 240 gallon aquarium he's in right now. And somebody had, somebody had commented and was like, you know, those things get massive, right? And I'm like, one, it's not mine. And two, yeah. of all the people that's going to own this thing, don't worry, Bill. Don't worry, yeah, my man. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. he's gonna be well taken care of, which I didn't respond, but yeah, that's yeah, yeah no worries. Awesome. So, all right, Irene, we have taken up so much of your time, and we did. We should we should almost go down like the gaming route and just spend the next half hour. We'll make this the longest Aquarius podcast ever, and then the back <laughs> the back half hour will be about miniature gaming and whatnot. Oh my but, god, that'd be awesome. You know what? All that means is you gotta invite me back for part two, Irene. Absolutely. Huh? No, let's let's do it. I mean, we we could probably go back and actually spend a little bit more time on the blog articles, maybe some specific mm-hmm. ones that you have really found um, useful, maybe some ideas that you have for future blog articles. Uh, I'll be but... honest. I will actually re- reference my own, uh, like go back and research my own blog articles. <laughs> sometimes. I'm like, what did I write about that again? And I will yeah. literally go on the Aquarium Co-op website and be like, oh yeah, okay, that's yeah. what I need to do. Well, <laughs> and, and people don't know this, but so the water wisteria that we sell right now mm-hmm. is imported and it's grown submerged so there's no conversion that people have to do at home however prior to that the only water wisteria that's available here in the states from the domestic farms in florida is grown immersed okay Mm -hmm. so what does that mean that means the consumer has to go through the conversion process at home and we take the customer experience so to the to the to the you know 10th degree here that Irene was sent some of these plants and the whole purpose was document the crap out of this experience. What is the customer going to expect and build out a whole educational series on if you buy this unconverted water wisteria from us, what can you expect? What is going to happen? Here are the photos at, you know, day one to day 14 to day 21, Mm -hmm. like all these things that you can expect. Um, and like that's, that's and then Randy goes and sources submerged <laughs> wisteria and totally invalidates all my work. Nice job. No, <laughs> hey, 
you know for people who buy from other sources though they will find that information very useful yeah so. <laughs> i mean i would say though i mean with with geopolitical instability with the way with know. the way flights are that every import order that i bring in from overseas is like is this the last one yeah is this the yeah. last one and um and for me that's like you know why we should eventually go down the rabbit hole of like a co-op plant farm where we actually start Ooh. growing and propagating our own plants which you know awesome. Corey has his strong feelings about that and I, <laughs> which there's many valid valid uh you know valid concerns but uh you know we, we've seen that the farms can't keep up with our demand solely we source from like five or six different places and not a single one can be our single sore sole supplier um not that we would want that my but, one of my local fish stores totally called you guys out uh -oh. i was like going in and i was looking at the plants and they're like yeah we don't have a lot of plant selection somebody from aquarium co-op went to florida and got all our plants <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> i was like oh my goodness <laughs> i like those trips i like when i get to go to florida and see the farms no i mean they still they will still allocate uh and that's part of so as as the greedy buyer that's part of the problem is that yeah. they will still allocate for their smaller businesses as oh, a as sure. a yeah. as a hobbyist that's a great thing that they do that so that way people in other parts of the country will still get their plants um however you know they're the, the the farm that we source pennywort from and now there's three farms uh that we source pennywort from but the first one upon launch they gave me all the assurances in the world mm. even with the demand numbers that i provided them and us as a customer for a year and a half of oh don't worry we'll be able to keep up with your demand are you sure are you sure? Are you sure? Wiped them out in like the first two weeks. It's like you, you knew this was happening. You knew this was coming. Like we like we gave you the numbers. And so luckily a couple of the other farms were able to step up and produce for us. But um yeah, and some of the problems is that they just produce every plant under the sun, right? So they don't have a heavily curated list and a lot of them are into uh, seasonal pond plants, which actually one of the farms is gonna really scale that back because mm. basically what happens is you get this like intense growing season for pond yeah. plants that lasts like, I don't know, three weeks. Like you have like yeah. this three week window to sell all these marginal in, you know, whatever, like whatever it is people need for their ponds, you have this very right. intense window to grow and to sell them. And what they've, what, what this one farm in particular, when we talked in person on my visit was that, you know, and of course I'm going to encourage them to stop doing this and to just focus on aquarium plants is that These it's just, sales it's, skills. It's, just, it's just, it's not good for your business. It's not good supply yeah. chain. It's not good for your personnel. It's just, it, it's not good for your business planning. And that's why, that's one of the reasons why we don't run any sales anymore is that mm -hmm. you can't, you can't plan around it. And so what do we, we want to generate sales three times a year at some crazy level and then just have it like an unpredictable demand supply chain throughout the rest of the year, or mm -hmm. you just offer competitively low prices and excellent service all the time. So consumers have the confidence that they can buy from us whenever they want and not, you know, not worry about, oh, I missed out on a sale. Mm -hmm. I don't know. That's that's just kind of my thoughts. But yeah, so one of the farms is going to stop doing the the pond plants nearly as much, and hopefully nice. they can you know kick up a little bit more on the the aquatic plants, uh, the aquarium Yay. plants. But then there's still so many other. Uh, there's like they grow like a million varieties of Amazon sword. Like oh, how wow. many varieties of Amazon sword do we really need? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know, but yeah, if we had our own farm, we would just specialize in obviously what we grow and try to propagate a couple of new ones here and there. But uh, yeah. So. We shall see. We shall see. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nobody listens this far, so nobody's going to know that juicy detail. <laughs> <Enough thought. laughs> All right, Irene, thank you so much. This has been an absolute blast. I've loved every minute of this conversation, pre-interview and during interview. And see, isn't that awesome that we went two years without talking? And now it's like, oh, hey. We now have... we have so much to say to each other. Or we're going to have to or, come back. 
should we wait every two years to talk to each other? Oh, no, I hope not. We can like only said, talk really to each do. other. No, no, no. <laughs> we no, can no, only no. talk to each other on a two-year basis. One that ensures that we I'm have stuff to talk about. hopefully be able to do a fish room tour of your uh, your sweet digs. And you will be and show my audience. so disappointed. You'll be so <laughs> no, disappointed. No, no, no. It's going to be everything uh, that I hope to be one day. <laughs> oh, a little geez. bit of smaller scale because I don't have the whole... I don't have a garage. I have a tiny corner, so we'll see. Um, Well, you are absolutely more than welcome, of course. So, Irene, until then, until our next conversation or our next email uh, for work, it has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks. Same here. Thanks, everyone, for listening.